Hello and welcome to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs, writer and mostly sensible habit maker. Before we get started on this week's episode, I have two things I need to address. The first is a listener call in from Anonymous. Hi, Carly. I have a question for you after listening to the episode about building an ethical wardrobe. You talk about searching for the perfect pair of leggings to wear to the gym, and you talk about having only one pair. I need to know, how often do you wash them? I have so many pairs. Thanks. Ah, yeah. Thanks for calling in with that question, Anonymous. And I can confirm that I only have one pair of exercise tights and I wash them once a week. I just don't find that the lower half of my body gets that stinky, so I wear them all week and wash them on the weekend. I may have just added myself as being really gross. I don't know. I also live in a subalpine climate, so it's generally really cold when I work out. So it's not like I'm sweating tropical buckets everywhere. I will, however, be buying a second pair soon because the ones that I have are three quarter length and I need some full length ones for winter for outdoor boot camps. But because it's going to be cold, I still just reckon I'm going to wear the same ones all week and wash them on the weekend. I do tend to change tops halfway through the week because tops are a bit grosser. I also only have one pair because I got rid of all the ones I hate and that left me with one pair. Um, I am fascinated now, though. How many sets of workout clothes does everyone else own and how often do you wash them? I would love to hear your responses at speakpipe.com forward slash productivity. I can't be the only person who has one pair of exercise tights and washes them once a week. Also, as I'm getting older, I'm just not afraid of smelling like a human. So I switched to no pong deodorant and natural oil perfumes years ago. And I just smell like a human who showers every day, but who also does stuff and sweats. And, you know, I try not to wash things unnecessarily. I'm a big fan of the sponge and air technique where you scrub any visible stains and leave your clothes outside to get some fresh air rather than washing them every time they get a spot of something gross on them. So, yeah, I'm possibly quite disgusting. We'll see. I can't wait to hear your responses. Secondly, during the Mars landing last week, it came to my attention that the word Martian isn't an alternative for the word alien and that it actually means loosely from Mars. I publicly declared this on Instagram thinking that everyone would be on board and most people would be like, oh yeah, totally. I totally get what you mean. And that's not what happened at all. Nearly everyone was like, well, duh. Yeah, obviously it means from Mars. And then lots of people (laughs) brought up an episode of productivity where I couldn't remember if the movie Martian was set on Mars Uh, yeah. So let me just answer all of your questions and statements around how I didn't realize that Martian meant from Mars. So a lot of people have said, well, obviously Martians are from Mars. Okay. The thing is, is that Martians aren't real. They're not a thing. So how can they be from Mars? No life forms are from Mars. All humanoid depictions of Martians are fictional and so are aliens. So that's kind of why I thought that they were the same thing. And then I've had people say, but what about Martian air and Martian soil. And whenever I've heard the word Martian, it is directly interchangeable with the word alien. So if someone said Martian air, particularly if Mars wasn't mentioned in the same breath, I'd think, oh, 
alien air, like something that's unknown. And if I've seen a Martian on TV shows like Marvin the Martian, they just look like space creatures. Another thing that people have said is, but it's right there in the title, Mars equals Martian. Marsupial also starts with Mars and marsupials aren't from Mars. And then I had someone say, why was the movie Martian called Martian then? Okay, so I thought that the movie Martian was called Martian because Matt Damon was like a Martian on Mars. But again, I thought Martian just meant alien. So it was like he was an alien on Mars, not because he was literally a Martian on Mars. And then this was another one that I thought was really interesting. I had a few people say, I'm sure I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this, Venusian and Jovian. So Venusian is like Venus and Jovian is Jupiter. This proves my point further. So there's no popular cult references to Venusians or Jovians. I'm sure that there are some extra sci-fi people out there that are very familiar with the term Venusian and Jovian, but I've never known of a Venusian or a Jovian in the same way that I know like Marvin the Martian. So if someone said Jovian soil, I'd say, what's Jovian soil? And they'd say, oh, from Jupiter. And I'd be like, cool. That conversation never happened with Martian because when someone said Martian soil, I was like, oh, Marvin the Martian, alien soil. Yeah, totally got it. So yeah, that's my little clarification corner for today. Let's get on with the show. So straight up, this episode is not going to be a stupid preachy episode about how to be a perfect toddler parent because that shit does not work. Toddlers are teeny tiny, terrifying little dictators and sometimes literally nothing works and all they want to do is throw toys at you and whinge. When I first got pregnant, I had a lot of people tell me not to read any books or follow any experts. They told me to follow my instincts and trust myself. I'm sure that works for a lot of parents out there, but it does not work for me. I needed to know how it all worked. When my kid was a baby, I looked up feeding schedules and meal plans because I had no idea how much or what to feed her. Now I'm doing the same thing with the toddler phase. New challenges are popping up all the time. And sometimes I have reactions to her behavior that I really don't like, or I try a disciplinary tactic spontaneously and I manage to totally cock it up. We've also come across a few issues where I'm trying to get the kid to do one thing and Ben, that's my partner for those of you who are new, and he's trying to get her to do something else. So this episode is just more about coming up with some solid ideas moving forward if you're finding that life with a toddler is kind of freaking you out. And this is more an episode about things that sometimes work for us, and I really need to be honest here that means sometimes. Today's guest is one of my best mates in the whole world, Steph. We met over 20 years ago doing theatre and I basically lived in her spare room in the house that she shared with her now husband, Stuart, when I was in uni. Steph and Stu now have three children. Yes, three. And they are the most charming, kind and wonderful children. And yeah, they can have their moments as all kids can, but overall they're genuinely really good little people. And I think Steph has some excellent ideas for dealing with toddlers. She's also a primary school teacher and she's one of the calmest people I've ever met. So I thought she'd be a great guest to have on the show this week. And here is my chat with Steph on how to try to parent toddlers. Hello, love and welcome. How has your week been? It's been good. Thank you. 
we've um, had no one sick in our house this week, which is, you know, the first week in quite a while that we've all been well and at school and work and uh, it's great. So do you, do you guys often get sick? Um, I feel like we just, if one person gets sick, then it slowly cascades through the house. You know, they're just getting better and they give it to the next person who gives it to the next person who gives it to the next person. And I guess because um, there's five of you, there's more points of contact to bring yeah, it into the house. and it goes for a long time. But I didn't get sick this time, so I really can't complain Oh, too much. that's great. See, I got sick last week, which is really rare because Harriet wasn't sick and Ben wasn't sick. And I'm like and the Clydesdale. Yeah, but I'm like the Clydesdale of the house <laughs> as well. Like nothing can take me down. And I was like, why am I the sick one? And Harriet didn't even have so much as a runny nose. I don't even know where I got it because she's like the only person that ever leaves our house. Maybe really, you got so. it still from daycare. Just from walking yeah. in the door, the germs just maybe, maybe her, to you. Yeah, her disposition's like so robust now that it doesn't even touch her and she just brings it home to us. Fun. <laughs> so this episode is all about toddler taming, kind of. So as much as you can pretend to really tame a toddler. <laughs> what are your thoughts on parenting toddlers um, and using particular techniques when it comes to parenting toddlers? I don't know that I have any particular techniques as such that I use. I know there are a couple that I hate, but I think if you sort of... Oh, tell us about those. Oh, I will. Okay. Should I start with what I hate? (laughs) Please do. (laughs) I would love that. (laughs) Jump straight Um, in there. I think my pet hate, and I blame Joe Frost, the super nanny for this 100%, is the naughty corner or the naughty step or the naughty chair or whatever. It just, for me, goes against everything that I understand to be true about children and childhood development and emotional security. I just, I completely understand where it comes from. I think a lot of people probably were raised in that way and it's also just kind of part of our culture you know it's super nanny but it's you see it on other tv shows as well you see other parents doing it it's been really normalized but it just doesn't work I think it's really um unhelpful because you think about it's also kind of a a a very grown-up response to typical children's behavior and also if you asked a grown-up to do that to like sit in a corner and think very carefully about the thing that they did and feel some deep shame and then hopefully not do it again <laughs> like that's you no one would ask a grown-up to do that exactly right so to expect a, a toddler or a, or a young child to have the emotional maturity to be able to process those feelings on their own is so unrealistic because the only reason you're going to put someone in the naughty corner is if they're not coping so they've done something that you, uh, you know, a behaviour that you don't like. They're obviously doing it because they're not coping. So to ask them to then go and deal with that all by themselves, it's not going to work. And it's also giving them a label. So you're calling it the naughty corner or the naughty chair. You're identifying them as naughty, which isn't fair. The child isn't naughty. You know, we all say that we love our children unconditionally, which we do, but by putting them away from you when they are behaving in a way you don't like, you're actually giving the impression that your love is conditional, that them being able to spend time with you and get comfort from you and get help from you is conditional on them behaving in a certain way. Whereas uh, circle of security, um, which I can talk more about 
later. I'm not an expert, but it's something I love. <laughs> they talk about um, having time in rather than time out. So if your child is having a meltdown, if they've done something you don't like, if they've hit their sibling or they've drawn on the walls, time in is what they need because the behaviour, whether it's desirable or not, is a way to seek connection. So they're not attention-seeking um, because they want negative attention. That might be the only way they're able to get your attention at that time or they might be experiencing big feelings and they need connection with you to be able to calm down and feel safe and feel secure. So if your child's not coping, if they're doing something uh, inappropriate or destructive, they actually need you to be there with them in that moment to bring them out of that space and calm them down. That actually so. reminds me, I had a, a teacher that I worked with years and years ago and she was fantastic. I actually think she was an assistant, if I remember correctly, but when I worked in special needs, uh, we worked in one of the kind of very high needs groups full of um, students who were quite big in physical size and could often end up being quite violent. And so there yeah. was a lot of um, trying to de-escalate and keep them quite calm. And there was another teacher who had a completely different approach to teaching that was quite you know, stoic and harsh. And you could often see this other teacher escalating the students and getting to the point where these big brawls would bust out because she had escalated the situation so much. And this assistant said to me, she's like, what we need to do, you need to give people an out. She said, when they've backed themselves into a corner with their behavior and they can't get out, you need to put your hand out and say, I can help you out of this. Absolutely. Not push them further into the corner so that it escalates and gets worse. That's exactly right. It's about um, dignity as well. You know, mm. little people have dignity and if you put them in a corner, um, you know, it's like, you know, in the olden days sitting in a corner wearing a dunce hat, you're putting shame on them. And yeah. children don't experience shame any better than we do. It's an awful feeling. Mm. You're not giving them, you're not preserving their dignity, you're not helping them out of a bad situation. You're just, yeah, making it worse. I will add, though, <laughs> to my <laughs> anti-timeout tirade timeout I think there is a specific circumstance in which case it can be useful sometimes you just need it really really briefly as a circuit breaker you know sometimes a child is feeding off the energy in the room they're feeding off siblings or friends or um, feeding off you if you're in a bad space and they get themselves into such a state that they actually need to be away just for a minute or two to kind of get rid of all that stimulus, you know, to be in a quiet room. And sometimes you have to do it as well, like you were talking about in that special needs um, classroom. Sometimes you do need to keep it, keep them away just for a minute to be safe. I remember yeah, definitely. my oldest son, who really wasn't a tantrum thrower, we were very lucky with him. But he, and he's just innately a really sweet kid as well. He absolutely is. And But when I was pregnant with... Um, my middle child, and he would have been two and a half, and he was dropping the daytime sleep, and you know, which is just a terrible time. And he had like a proper toddler kicking, screaming meltdown. And that was when I was like, No, I need a circuit breaker, and I also need to put him away from me for a minute so he doesn't kick me. You know, mm. I was heavily pregnant, I was like, This isn't actually great at the moment, I need to keep me safe, and I need to give him a minute to calm down. But I remember, I sat him, I put him in his room, I got him there and closed the door, but I stayed on the other side. I didn't just walk away and lock the door and be like, see you in 15 minutes. 
I talked through the door and was saying, you know, when you're able to be gentle, I'm going to open the door and I can give you a cuddle. You know, it's not I'm abandoning you. You know, you know I'm just here on the other side of the door. You're still safe. You're still with me, but we've got this little circuit breaker. You're not getting um, more and more worked up by being in my presence. I really love that as well because Harriet um, has incredibly high expectations of herself. So when she gets into trouble, she really doesn't like it at all. And I've heard from a valuable uh, resource that I was exactly the same as a child. (laughs) So getting into trouble devastates me and it devastates her. And even something as tiny as, you know, please don't rub that on the floor, that could end up with her in hysterics. So I always say it's okay you're not in trouble. You can have a cuddle. I just want you to not do that in the future. And so it's always just that the first thing I do is if she starts to cry when I've, I've disciplined her in some way, the first thing is like, let's have a cuddle and we'll talk about what just happened. I don't need her to cry herself to sleep. Absolutely. Something on the floor. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you also sometimes can't talk about what went wrong at oh, the time. No. You have to wait, you know, if they're already upset. Yeah. Um, oh, that's another problem, I think, with that naughty corner is the, the way that, you know, Super Nanny runs it and the way you see people running it oh, is they've forgotten before they come done. back in, they go, so why were you there? And, <laughs> <laughs> okay, A, they've probably forgotten because if you've left them yeah. there for five minutes, that's an eternity, they don't know, or they're probably still upset and it's not the time to bring it up. You know, you have no. to wait until you've had a cuddle and you're calm and later on you can say, so the reason that I was upset earlier was because when you did this, that hurt my feelings. Or when you hit your brother, that really hurt him or whatever it is. You know, you've got to do it when they're calm and they can actually listen to you when they're in a slightly more rational state of mind. Absolutely. And another thing I find really difficult with two-year-olds, because Harriet is very, very two at the moment, (laughs) sometimes she would just smack me in the head and I can't actually get her into trouble for it because she didn't mean it. She's just a child that is not in control of her limbs. And sometimes when she's in front of me, it's kind of like, you know, when I I kind of sometimes want to smash her a little bit because she's so cute. I just kind of want to pick her up and eat her. You want to snaggle her. I want to smuggle her. I just want to like squish her really hard. And and I know that when she's in front of me and she's not upset or she's not trying to tell me something, she's just in front of me and kind of wants to connect with me. Sometimes that results in a smack in the head. Absolutely. Because she's two. Toddlers are exhausting because, yeah, you're right, even when they are being cute and happy, it can be really painful. Like they'll just grab a fistful of hair or they'll pull your earring. Yeah. Um, or they'll just like, I'm teething and I'm, I'm just going to bite you. Like I'm not cross. I'm just going <laughs> to lean across and bite your arm. And you're like, wow, it's really hard not to just go right into, you know, overreaction that they are exhausting. So, so you're a teacher as well, but you teach primary school. So you don't in your workplace come into contact with toddlers that often. Do you think, this is just a fun question. Do you think it is more exhausting to spend a day in a classroom with a whole bunch of other kids or a day at home with your three kids? Oh, that's a good question. I think it depends on the day. Yeah. So generally speaking, I think the day in the classroom is more exhausting um, because you're there in a professional context and there's an outcome you have to achieve. Uh, I remember, I think it might have been a TED Talk. Uh, well, I've read it or heard it somewhere that, a teacher in the classroom has to make more decisions in a minute and more judgments in a minute than a pilot flying a jet. Oh, 
doesn't surprise me. Yeah, because you're sort of doing those micro assessments and micro adjustments to what you're doing all the time just, for however many kids. Just scanning constantly. Absolutely. Like making sure that there's no kid in the corner that's on a chair that's going to fall or, or, or kids whispering in a corner and you're like, what are they whispering about? What are they, yes. what are they about to yeah. do? Like, Yeah, whatever you're doing in the classroom, you're also doing 15 other things at the same time on sub-level, you know, you're multitasking. But you're also multitasking when you're at home with a kid you know it's life isn't like play school where you sit down and you've got your child in front of you and you're just you know doing, doing play pleasant craft all doing day. pleasant craft all day like you have <laughs> those moments and they're lovely but you're also you know trying to wash nappies and cook dinner and um you know clean up breakfast and do all those things yeah and there are definitely some days where I get to the end of the day and go oh thank goodness I've got work tomorrow I need a break yeah. from this, you know. This is just exhausting. <laughs> we all need some I time actually, apart. <laughs> yeah, I find it so cyclical though. Like by the time I get to Friday, I am so keen to hang out with her all weekend. Absolutely. And then I get to Monday and I'm like, bye. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like I love my time with my kids. I work three days a week and I absolutely love those two days at home. But for me, that three days at work, two days or four days at home, I guess really, is a good balance. I think I appreciate my time with my children more when I have a job to go to that doesn't involve being with them. Absolutely. Hats off to full-time stay-at-home mums. I, I, it's not for me. I could not cope. Yeah. I need breaks from her. And, you know, she's generally a pretty good kid, but I just need to – I think it's also just the responsibility. I think I just need her safety to be somebody else's responsibility for a yeah, little while. Yeah, it's huge responsibility. I think that – I've just come off being on maternity leave with my youngest for a year and a half because COVID happened and it changed childcare arrangements and it's by far the longest I've ever been on mat leave. And it was wonderful, but I think I kept my sanity by making sure I had other things outside of the house to do and that didn't involve my children. And I think that would actually be one of my top tips for parenting a toddler or any child is if at all possible, have a hobby that involves other adults that has nothing to do with your children and is not at home, you know, which obviously people who are in lockdown at the moment don't have that choice and people who are single parents and don't have family support perhaps don't have that choice either. But if you do, if you can rearrange your life in some way to have an outlet, a hobby, something that doesn't involve your kids, I think that's really important as well. So that you've I got also, that part of you that is still there. You know, you're not I just I also suggest parent. doing that as early as possible. Like I think that a lot of people kind of think when their babies are so, so tiny that, you know, they, you need to be around them 100% until they're two. And I remember when Harriet was really small, leaving her felt awful. Like even just going to the gym felt horrible, but I forced myself to do it. For, when she was one month old, I forced myself to leave the house, to go to the gym, to go for a walk, to go have a coffee with a friend. And I really think, and it really hurt at the time. Now I look back out and go, what was the big deal? Like she was yeah. fine. She was with her dad. He could give her a bottle if there was a problem. Like it's not an issue. But particularly as a first time parent, I was very conscious of that, of, of leaving the house and doing a thing that didn't involve her. And I think it actually saved my sanity. Like I got to the point where where um, just before she started on solids, that was a really stressful time for me because I was over it. It had been four to five months of, and she started solids early because she was hungry. Yeah. She was a hungry kid. And I, right before she started on solids, I had lost it because I was, you know, breastfeeding and I, I was just like, I am trapped. Like I am trapped by, 
by this kid. And yeah, it was leaving the house in those little bursts when I could was really what saved my sanity. Absolutely. And I think when you've got a small child, especially if you're breastfeeding, you just physically, your own body is not your own because you're either feeding them or you're rocking them to sleep or two of my three children liked to be worn all the time. So I had them in a baby sling. Mm, like carry it like ages. And it's wonderful. And I treasure that, but it's also really draining. Sometimes you want to just be like, I want to not be touched by anyone. I just want to have my body to myself and to be free. And yeah, sometimes even if it's just get someone to mind your baby for half an hour and go for a walk and be like, ah, no one's touching me. Mm. You know, I'm outside. I've got fresh air. No one's touching me. It's great. And then I also struggled quite a bit with uh, ben because he he's very affectionate and we're a very affectionate couple and I would have like all day with the baby and then I'd put her down to sleep at night and I'd come out and he'd be like oh sweet and he'd be like now it's my turn to have a cuddle and I'm like I need no one to touch me <laughs> yes. like half an hour I love you so much just I words cannot express but please just don't touch me for like half an hour <laughs> yes yes because there's those days where you put your kid to bed um you know if you manage to get them into bed and you're like well I've been holding you for 18 hours. <laughs> like, yeah, I need and a break. It's, it's only natural for your partner to be like, oh, you know, now I get to spend time with you. And it's like, no, not right now. No. When, when, they're, when they're six months old, maybe, <laughs> That's but not right, right now. <laughs> and I think as well, I think with your first child, or this is my experience anyway, I did find it harder and I found it harder to commit to doing anything outside of parenting mm. because I couldn't imagine how I would fit it in. So my mm. hobby, like yours, is theatre. And I didn't do a play after I had Harry until he was uh, two, nearly two. Mm. Whereas with uh, my other two, they were much younger, I think nine months old and I was doing a play um, because I'd figured out with my husband and my extended family how to make that work and I'd figured out as well how beneficial that was for me, for my mental health and therefore for me also as a parent to have something found outside it, of home and family to do. I, I found it beneficial for Harriet as well. Like she's really a friendly go-getter, goes anywhere, no issues kid. And I think that's just because I was so conscientious of not of, of making sure that I wasn't housebound when I first had her, that like we would put her in the car and go places. And I, and, and every time I had any family over, I would hand her to them immediately. I'd yes, be like, you need to great. hold her because she needs to get used to being held by other people. And so I, I was able to do that. Like if my parents came to stay, I could leave Harriet with them when she was tiny and then, you know, go get a coffee and come back and feed her when I got home and it was fine. Yeah. I think that's great to do. I, and I think it's, it's going to be interesting for all of these babies that have been born during lockdown and haven't seen anyone outside of their home, that's going to be really challenging. We only had, I'm very lucky, I live in Canberra and it's been one of the least affected places in the world. So our lockdown at home was less than two months. But that for us was a pretty crucial development window for my baby. And she had a pretty rough adjustment. Even just coming out of that, she was a bit sort of freaked out by being around other people, she was very kind of cautious and didn't want to be held by anyone outside of our family. So I imagine how challenging that will be for families that have been in lockdown for months and months. Um, It's going to have to be a priority (laughs) for people to, you know, get back (laughs) out there, but it's going to be challenging. 
Yeah, definitely, particularly for the people overseas that have been in really extended and countrywide lockdowns as well. Yeah. I think being Victorian, we were sort of on our own in Australia for a while there and the rest of Australia was fine, but it, it did feel different when it was the whole country. So I think when, when countries are sort of in solidarity in lockdown, that just kind of changes the general psyche and kind of the, the general zeitgeist around it yeah. as as well. We got slightly off topic there, which we is did. great because I do love, <laughs> I do love a, a bit of a segue. Um, do you have any magic tips or phrases or ideas for parents that are dealing with the toddler years? I can remember on Facebook, I saw a post in a group, someone was talking about how they were having trouble with their toddler. And you mentioned this really beautiful phrase that I mentioned to myself all the time. You talked about sharing your calm um, with one of your kids. And I remember reading that and really crying. I was like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. So can you talk to us more about sharing your calm? Yes. So um, obviously toddlers in particular and all children, you know, older children as well, have big feelings and they don't yet have the vocabulary and the life experience and the emotional maturity to know how to process those feelings or name those feelings or understand them. So they get overwhelmed, you know, quite often and it can be big, you know, they can have big meltdowns. They're completely overwhelmed by their feelings. And when you're kind of in, you know, at the cold face of parenting, you're in there and you're with them, it's really easy to get overwhelmed as well. You know, the screaming and the yelling, it, you can go yourself from zero to a hundred and just become angry or become frustrated. Like even, Absolutely. even the calmest parents lose it. Absolutely. Because, you know, your kids just kicked you in the shins and they're screaming and it's so hard to be calm. But if you can stop and take a few deep breaths and just sit down and be with your child in that moment and allow them those feelings, then they will calm down so much faster. So, you know, there have been studies as well that show this, that if you, a child who's told to calm down will take quite a long time to calm down and a child that's yelled at and told to stop or whatever will take even longer to calm down. But if you actually just sit with a child and acknowledge that feeling, you know, I can see that you're feeling really upset at the moment. I can, I can see that you are feeling angry. You acknowledge the feeling and then you just sit with them and it might be, if, if you can sit right next to them, if they're not kicking and flailing, even just stroking their back, if you're able to, otherwise you might have to sit a metre or two away, but just being quiet and being calm and just every now and then reaching out with something validating. I can see that you're feeling calm or, oh, I can hear that you're starting to slow down your breathing. That's so great. Let's take some deep breaths. Even if they're quite small and they don't understand you, they, they understand your body language and they understand your tone of voice. So you can really share that calm with them and it will bring them down much, much, much faster than keeping them away from you or yelling at them or lecturing them or telling them to calm down. Uh, and we know that as adults, there's nothing oh, more infuriating absolutely. than someone telling you yeah. to calm down. You're like, oh, so I'm guaranteed not to calm yeah. down if you tell me to. <laughs> it's like, do you want me to calm down? I'll calm down. Exactly. I did actually have a very funny incident the other day. Harriet was just hell bent on just whinging all morning. It's all she wanted to do. Fun. And I did all the right things. I was like, mm, I can see that you're a bit frustrated. Do you want to talk to me about why you're frustrated? Do you need help with that? You know, I did all the calm. Yep. This went on for like 20 minutes and all she wanted to do was whinge. And then at one point I turned 
turned around and I said, Harriet, that's enough. I don't like that noise. And she turned around and she looked at me and her eyes were blazing and she pointed at the floor and she stamped her foot and she said, no, Hattie's sad. <laughs> but, okay, I tried mate. really hard not, I tried not, hard not to laugh and I sat down next to her and I said, thank you so much for telling me how you're feeling. Let's see if we can work through these sad feelings. But gosh, it was so it's funny. It's so I was hard just to like, well, face sometimes. <laughs> And she she schooled me. She was like, no, you are not listening to me and I am sad and we need to sort this out. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so here's, a, here's an imaginary scenario. Yeah. You're in the supermarket and your kid decides they want a kinder surprise. You gently but firmly tell them that they can have one another day and they chuck an epic tantrum and refuse to leave. <laughs> what do you do? Um, I have been in this situation probably a couple of times not as many times as you'd think, given that I have three mm. children. But I very clearly remember um, being in the supermarket with my two older children when I was pregnant with my third and the middle child, who would have been two and nearly three, had one of those, like, full-on stereotypical toddler tantrums where they actually lie down on their tummy and kick and, like, punch the ground and kick their legs and it was in the middle of a quite a crowded supermarket and... I was just like, right, well, like sometimes you just have to go enough's enough and you have to sort of scoop them up and like hold them like a surfboard and get them to the car. But sometimes you can't. And I was, you know, Mm. quite heavily pregnant and I'm like, I'm not going to be doing that. That's not going to (laughs) happen. And so I had my son and I held his hand and we just stood like several metres back and everyone that came down the aisle, I just made eye contact and went, sorry, sorry, (laughs) just shrugged and gestured to her. No one said anything mean. No one judged. No one gave me a dirty look. Some people laughed and it was quite funny. Like if you're able to have some perspective on it, you're like, this is quite funny. It's quite over the top. But (laughs) so many people you meet in the supermarket have been there and they'll understand. And as long as they're not like knocking things off the shelf Mm. um, or stopping people getting past with their trolleys, then sometimes you just have to let them go for it and just let them exhaust themselves. Yeah, absolutely. She got tired. Yeah. And then I was, like, able to scoop her up and be like, okay, now we're going, and just carried her out to the car as, like, a limp little sad doll. (laughs) Little mate. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But sometimes you do, like, if they're really going nuts and they're actually, you know, stopping other people from shopping or, you know, hurting themselves or others, I think sometimes you just have to scoop them up and carry them out, stick them in the car and think I'll shop later. As inconvenient as that is, sometimes. Yeah. You know, your best laid plans just don't work and you just have to I always, give up. I've, I've done that before as well and I always do that. Would you like to walk to the car or would you like mum to carry you to the car? And then if the tantrum keeps on going without a response, they go, okay, I think you need help getting to the car and then it's surfboard out to the yeah, car. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Kicking the flailing surfboard. I'm like, well, oh, you just got to do it. Lucky you they usually have these meltdowns when they're quite small, so it's possible. True, true. So you can actually scoop them up. So do you have any parenting experts that you think the listeners, our, my listeners should follow? Do you follow uh, any yes. parenting experts? Not heaps. Um, I think yeah, there's a program. Yeah, neither do I, but there's a few that stick yeah, out. Yeah, there's a program called Circle of Security, which I think everyone, everyone who wants to be a parent one day, everyone who is a parent of a child of any age should get into Um, it's a program that came out of the United States and you can actually, I know in Canberra anyway, there's sort of the child and family health centres, the government run health centres run free parenting courses in circle of security. Um, 
and I, I know there are online videos you can watch about it and they've got a pretty great website. And it's just about recognising the needs of your child and how you need how you can meet those needs. It's really very kind of straightforward, really, but it's, um, I think, probably the most useful parenting tool I've ever come across. And, and someone else I really like is Steve Bidoff. I don't know if you know him. Sounds familiar. He's written, he's written a few books. Uh, Raising Boys I think was his mm, first famous yeah. one anyway, and he's got Raising Girls. And there's another one called something like uh, The Secret to happy children or something like that. That might not be quite right. Um, he's fantastic and, again, quite practical and really um, like it's based in sound research. It's not, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's evidence-based rather than. Love evidence-based so, stuff yeah, over here in this I corner. I do too. <laughs> so it's based on, you know, he's he is a psychologist and. He's really great psychologist. He's also a really great speaker. I'm sure at the moment because of COVID he's not speaking, but he used to every year do these sort of speaking circuits around Australia. And I was lucky enough to see him speak in Canberra a few years ago. Um, And he's a really engaging speaker. But his books are great and are engaging and easy to read. Excellent. So your kids are, I'm going to guess your kids' age. I only saw them a month ago and I clearly wasn't paying attention. (laughs) Are they seven, four and one? They are. Well done. Yes. yes. I got it right. I also just like, I am really, the only reason why I know that is because I saw them recently and we were talking about like age gaps and things, but I am so bad at guesstimating kids' ages. Like I'll, I'll meet an eight-year-old and be like, are you 12, 14? I don't know. Like you just, I've never You're had older than my I don't kid. know what they're I like. <laughs> exactly. So do you find that you change tactics very often with them? Uh, yes and no. Obviously with the seven-year-old in particular, uh, you can have a lot more rational conversations with a seven-year-old than you can with a, a four-year-old and certainly with a one-year-old. But I think the basics are really kind of the same. Um, you know, that circle of security that I was talking about applies just as much to a seven-year-old as it does to a one-year-old. It's just often easier to figure out what a seven-year-old needs from you. Um, but I think, yeah, those basics are the same about being fair and being calm and consistent, um, having a sense of humour <laughs> because I hate to tell people that who are with their first, but, you know, the toddler years are definitely exhausting, but it's not like raising older children is a walk in the park either. They have no. their moments as well. Um, yeah, I mean, as I said, yeah, those basics are the same. But I think as kids get older... Um, things like consequences, I think, as a parent can become trickier because yeah. it's so easy to just say, you know, that knee-jerk reaction of, oh, well, the consequence is going to be no screens for a week, um, which isn't necessarily actually a really good way to approach things. You know, you know as a teacher that consequences actually... No, it's punishment <laughs> for the parent. <laughs> you know that the consequence should actually be logical. It should be a natural consequence. Mm. So it can be hard not to just... Um, jump into those knee-jerk reactions because children are old enough to understand consequences. It can be really hard not to be punitive, I think. Um, 
Whereas, and it's also hard to not fall into those traps. Like I, I try really hard not to bribe Harriet. So I like, that's one thing I'm concentrating on at the moment. Like I want her to get in the car cause it's time to get in the car. Yes. And I've, I've found myself recently being like, Oh, you can have a cracker when you get in the car or, Oh, you yeah. can have, you know, a piece of salami when you get in the car. And it's like, come on. Like I, I don't have to bribe my kid to get into the car, but it, honestly in the last week, this is, this is just a thing that I'm bringing up because I've noticed myself doing it in the last week. And I'm like, okay, I really need to stop doing that because I can't bribe her every time I want her to go somewhere yes it's really it's it's hard and you do have to be reflective about that and notice you do I sometimes catch myself talking about you know a consequence for something I think oh that's so punitive and stupid like that's not a way to do things but I also think we have to cut ourselves some slack and think sometimes being a good enough parent has to be enough because you're never going to be perfect and sometimes you do have to just say you know what until you do clean your room or you know put your shoes away or um, clean your teeth or whatever, you're not going to have screens. Or, mm. you know what, you didn't go to bed when you were asked and you stayed up way too late, so tomorrow I think we're not going to have TV because I think that was overstimulating and you weren't able to sleep, so tomorrow no TV. And it's sort of a natural consequence. It's related yeah. in a way. Um, and it might not be the perfect consequence, but sometimes you yeah. just have to go, you know what, I'm not perfect. And sometimes you do need to give them a cracker to get in the car and you just yeah. have to because you've got to get to work. And that's the only way you can make it happen. And sometimes you can kind of like tailor things to certain kids because not all kids respond to all tactics. And there's this thing that I do with Harriet that works really, really well, but only because it works well for her personality and there are other kids it doesn't work well for. So if I say, okay, we need to pack up our toys and she'll go, no. And I'll be like, oh, okay, I'm going to sit here and read my book while yeah, and you let me know when you're ready to pack up. I'm happy to help you. And then she kind of wanders around for a bit and then kind of looks at me and then she'll be like, oh, can we play with this? I'm like, no, 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 you need to pack up your things. I'm going to read my book. You let me know. And she hates it when I sit down. When I'm idle, it really annoys her. <laughs> like if I'm if I'm doing washing or cooking, it's totally fine. If I sit down, I pick up my phone. She's like, no, nah, this is not, this, this is not okay. This is me. not appropriate. But, and, and it really works. It sometimes takes 10 minutes, but eventually she'll go, okay, let's pack up now because she knows that she's not going to get a snack or screen time or get to go anywhere or do anything or get my attention until she packs until up the toys. Yeah, that's great. But I've got a fr- so I told my friend about this and she tried it with her kid and he just wandered off to his room and started playing with something else. <laughs> and she, she was like, it was great. I got to sit there and read my book for like 20 minutes. But she said he just, and eventually he just he forgot like what point. was going on. Whereas Harriet really likes, she likes to keep things moving and she's really precise and likes to get things done. And she was like, well, this isn't going to work. I'm going to have to clean up my toys or mum's just going to sit there yeah, forever. She understood understood what you were trying to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But again, that's not going to work on all kids. No, definitely not. Yeah. So do you have a mantra or anything where you have those moments where you just want to like shut yourself away in a room and ignore your kids for a few minutes? Yes, I do. Actually, I had a teaching mantra, which then became my parenting mantra and it's directly from circle of security. So there's a, a phrase in there, which is bigger, wiser, stronger, kind and that is my parenting mantra and when I kind of get that like flush of rage and I'm going to yell and I'm going to say something mean then I try really hard to just stop and take a deep breath and think bigger wiser stronger kind and the way that it's um shown in circle of security they have a diagram of a seesaw and it's about finding that balance so if you as a parent are just bigger and stronger then you can be a bit of a bully. Yeah. And if you're just wiser and kind, then you can be overly permissive and you're not putting boundaries in place. And that 
doesn't allow children to feel safe. So you need that balance of being bigger and stronger and wiser and kind to have boundaries and be firm, but also be loving and kind and give your children that sense of security that they need. So that's mine, bigger, wiser, stronger, kind, which reminds you as well to not be petty, to not go down to that level. If they're kicking and screaming, you think, no, I am bigger and I'm wiser than this. I have to be the adult. I can't yell back at you. Um, And I think actually having a short mantra is really helpful. It's like in meditation people have mantras because if you can just say it and chant it to yourself, it takes you out of that immediate emotional reaction and gives you time even if you're just chanting to yourself for a minute, gives you time to calm down and be able to think differently and react differently. So mine is bigger, wiser, stronger kind. I love that. And it reminds me of this article that I read uh, that was about Inuit culture in um, Alaska. Is that where Inuit's are? Yeah. Am I getting that wrong? Yeah. No, no, I think Um, that's right. I think that is correct. All up in North America there, like Alaska and Canada and... I watch Molly of Denali. I should know that. (laughs) Uh, And they, this whole article was about the culture of parenting um, in, in Inuit culture. And they have this kind of thing where if an adult loses their temper at a child, it's kind of seen as um, a a bit shameful and a bit silly. Like when, when adults are kind of like, well, that's a, they kind of go, you know, that's a two year old. Like, I can't believe you let a two year old get to you. And that's sort of their, their whole thing. And it's a really interesting article and I will link to it in the show notes for those people. I mean, Obviously, we all lose our cool at our kids. No one's perfect all the time. But it is quite nice to position yourself as the grown-up and, uh, you know, add, uh, using your mantra, which is also beautiful, and also kind of positioning it so that it's beneath you. Like, I'm not going to argue with a two-year-old because, yeah. you know, she's the one – she's two and I'm the one that's supposed to be explaining to her, you know, how to regulate her emotions, how to treat other people, how to be kind, and if I can't display the behaviours, I don't want her to chuck tantrums. So if I chuck tantrums, what is that telling her? That's exactly right. You're the model for how you want them to grow up to be resilient and kind and to be able to solve problems with words and not their fists. And if you're not able to model that, then it makes it very hard to um, <laughs> to help them grow up in that. So that was my chat with Steph. To be honest, we actually are quite different people and not surprisingly, we mother quite differently too, which I absolutely love. I think it's really important to understand that there's no singular way to be a good parent. In our house, we're a lot more scheduled and in Steph's house, they're a lot more flexible. And that's also how we lived our lives pre-children. Steph has always been a freer spirit than me and that naturally seeps into her parenting style. I've always been more organized and precise, not just compared to Steph, compared to everyone. And that naturally seeps into my parenting style and that's okay too. Honestly, I am no expert when it comes to parenting. I have one kid and she's I have a minuscule amount of experience compared to most other people. And honestly, sometimes I just want to ignore my kid and sit on the couch all day and binge watch Sex in the City. However, I have to come up with a few kind of rules in my house that sometimes do actually work. Before I go through these tips, though, I need to acknowledge that these tips are for neurotypical kids and probably won't work for kids with special needs or kids who are on the spectrum. Some of them do work. I learned a lot of these techniques when I was a special needs teacher. You may also just have a delightful handful of a neurotypical kid that these tips also won't work for, and that's fine too. This is just some stuff that's working in our house 
sometimes and totally honestly Harriet will sometimes just throw any of these tactics straight back at at me and everything just falls to shit and that happens as well so when I had a kid I promised I wasn't going to write about parenting and for the most part I haven't this is just more about sharing some resources and ideas that have worked for us and certainly not about making other parents feel like they're doing something wrong as I mentioned before I also only have one kid, so I spent, I have a lot more time and energy to think about these things. I'm sure there are families with five kids out there just laughing at all the thought I've put into this and fair enough. So those are just a few disclaimers before we jump into it. For starters, Ben and I often discuss things that we want to work on with our kids so we're on the same page and we're maintaining a united and consistent front. For for an example, and this is just a tiny example, at the moment, Harriet loves putting her feet on the table. She's not being naughty. She's just being a very jiggly kid and likes to fling her legs around. We've decided that we don't allow that at the table, but she can do pretty much anything else. So if she puts her feet on the table, we say, I won't let you put your feet on the table. Can you show me how you can groove at the table? And then we'll do a little dance. Or can you show me how you can clap your hands above your head at the table? And then we'll clap our hands. And sometimes it works and she's fine. And other times it ends in a meltdown and that's fine too. But we're sticking to it as something we won't allow. So she knows what we expect of her. And honestly, it's happening less and less, which is great. But that's just a little example of something that we have made a choice that we don't want her to do. And we're working together to make sure that that thing doesn't happen. So here are a few other things that we do in our house. And when I say we do them, we try to do them. If we're tired and cranky, a lot of this goes out the window. But the point is, is that we try. One thing that we like to do is start every reply with yes. Recently, I've been watching this show called Toddlers Behaving Very Badly, and it's kind of like a modern day super nanny where a toddler behavior expert goes into the house of struggling parents and kind of does a queer eye for the straight guy makeover of their parenting style. She's not exactly like super nanny because super nanny was problematic in a variety of different ways. I actually really quite enjoy the host of this show and the techniques that she implements with these families. So just so, just to be clear, all of these parents are so wonderful, but this host just points out these little mistakes that they didn't know that they were making. And I like watching it because sometimes I notice things, mistakes that I'm making and I can adjust that in my own parenting technique. So there was this one mum who really stuck with me and she had a three-year-old who would hit and kick her and the behavior expert figured out that it was because the mum said no all the time. And I mean, really, we have to say no to our kids, either to keep them safe or just so that they get used to hearing the word no. But the expert took this little clicker, like the kind of clicker that a bouncer would have at a club to make sure that, you know, they don't reach capacity. And she clicked and counted how many times the mum said no throughout the course of a morning. And it was something ridiculous, like 170 times. The mum didn't even realize she was doing it. So the expert suggested instead of saying, no, don't tip over that bucket, try I won't let you tip over that bucket. Can you show me how you can get the broom and sweep all this water off the porch? And yeah, like it's really hard if what your kid is doing requires a quick reprimand so they don't hurt themselves or ruin something. But we do try very, very hard to avoid yelling no at our kid whenever possible. So instead of screaming no when she starts banging a cup on the table, I try to calmly say, I won't let you bang your cup on the table. Can you show me how you can gently slide your cup in circles? So I will try to deflect with a different activity because often what she's doing isn't necessarily the thing she needs to do and something else will suffice. This also works if your kid is like, 
can we play train sets? Rather than say, no, not now. You can say, yes, I'd love that. I just have to finish getting dinner ready. How about you set up the trains and I'll come play in 10 minutes. Another thing that we do is we always ask and we try never to tell. And I don't know if I invented this one, but in our house, it was born out of necessity. So our girl went through an epic no phase at about 14 months. I'm not even shitting you. Her response to everything was no, even stuff she wanted to do. So we started giving her choices. And I, from this day, from that day onwards, I never said, come on, bath time, because she'd go, no. So what we do is always give options. So it will be, do you want me to chase you or do you want to fly into the bath? And it's not, do you want toast? It's, do you want peanut butter or Vegemite on your toast? And yeah, sometimes we still get a, uh, get a tantrum, but nine times out of 10, she's just chuffed that I care about her opinion. And she takes her choices so seriously. In the morning, if I say, okay, I'm going to make you some toast, she'll just say no. But if I say, if I actually get the jars and put them in front of her and make it like a really big deal. And I say, do you want peanut butter or do you want Vegemite? She'll be like, oh, you know, and she'll sit there and and just really think so carefully about it. It's just much easier than her just going no and then ruining the whole toast thing anyway. Another thing I do quite a lot of is wait. And I don't know about the parents out there listening, but I often forget that my kid is only two and things take her longer to do. So when I ask her to sit in her car seat, I count to 60 in my head. And sometimes that feels like forever, but she'll usually get there before I get to 60. And by waiting and letting her do things in her own time, it actually turns out a lot quicker than I think. We can avoid a lot of meltdowns. And look, sometimes I go, okay, in the car and I just strap her in and she gets cranky and that's fine too. But if we're not in a huge rush and she's booping around the car and wanting to pick up rocks and wanting to pick up flowers, rather than go get in the car I'll say something like oh wow look at all these lovely flowers that you're picking near the car why don't we collect some in our hands and you can hold them in your hands when you hop into your car seat and often that's just a cool little activity that we haven't done before and she thinks it's great so just waiting and giving them a little bit more time than you think that they need Another thing I really like doing in this game straight from teaching is whisper Harriet's a bit of a screamer So if I want her to stop screaming, I'll go right up to her and whisper. I'll go, hey, can you help me with something? And often she'll just whisper back, yeah. And then I just invent something really stupid for us to do. Like, hey, do you want to go and like empty this drawer over there? And she'll be like, yeah, that sounds great. And then we just whisper and wander off together and empty a drawer. And look, that's not going to work forever. I, you know, I don't think an eight-year-old's going to fall for that. But she's two. And while it's working, whispering go down the whisper path. Another thing I like to remember, and I spoke about this with Steph earlier in the podcast, always remember that an escalated adult can't de-escalate an escalated child. I read that quote on an Instagram account at Big Little Feelings, and it's been such a game changer. I'm not a particularly chill person. I'm good at pretending like I'm chill, but I have high functioning anxiety that's just ticking away there all the time in the background. And sometimes when my kid loses it, I panic and I try to stop what's happening by pleading or even yelling, which I really, really hate. And this phrase has been brilliant for me because I just always remember that you can't de-escalate a kid if you're escalated yourself. 
I remember when I was a special needs teacher that I had this marvelous assistant who taught me that you have to offer kids an exit when they're acting out. And I witnessed lots of teachers in my years escalate situations and often force kids to act out even more than the kid had planned to by just backing them into a corner. And I always try to think about that when my kid is chucking a tantrum rather than yell, no, get in the car. I try to get down on her level and say something like, you seem upset and frustrated. Is there anything I can do to help? Do you need a cuddle or do you need to walk down the street one more time before we get in the car? And Often the tantrum is about control. So by giving her a little bit of control back and validating that she's feeling upset, it usually does the trick. And that's not to say I haven't snatched her up surfboard style and wrangled her kicking and screaming into the car. I've done that lots of times. But I do find that calming my own center works really well. And she will often respond really well to being heard in those moments. This is another one that I do. This is not going to work for everyone. I am quite a high energy person. So this does work quite well for me, but you might have to come up with something different if you know, you're not a bit of a galah. We are deep in what we call the song and dance phase of parenting at the moment. So we've got games and songs for everything. And it's not that we're amazing, joy-filled, super energized parents. It's that if we make everything a game, shit gets done easier and faster. So getting dressed has been a sore spot for our girl since the day she was born. She's always hated it. So we've always had getting dressed games. There's races where Ben and I each dress half of her body at the same time after she yells, ready, set, go and then she gets to declare who won the race. And when she was really little, I played this telephone game where I'd shake her foot and go ring, 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 ring. And then I'd shove that leg in her onesie. And once it was in her onesie, I'd answer it and go, oh, hi, thanks so much for calling. Oh, hang on. Another call is coming through. And then I'd shake her other leg and go ring, 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 ring. And then once that leg was in the onesie, I'd answer and go, oh, hey, hi, so sorry. I'm on another call. And then just repeat the process, acting more and more frantic as I shove each limb into each socket of her onesie. And I mean, yeah, that might not be be your style. But literally this morning I had a whinge free getting dressed session because I sang an opera about getting dressed and she thought that was hysterical. And it's just so much more pleasant than having her run around naked going, no, get dressed, no, get dressed. So yeah, (laughs) those are a few things that we use to get us through the day with a very headstrong toddler. They don't always work, but sometimes they do. And that's still a big help. So I hope that you found this episode interesting hopefully helpful. And I really hope I didn't make anyone feel like shit about their parenting because that's really something I'm not into at all. So thank you so much for listening to this episode and thank you for listening to productivity. It is the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs. You can find me on Instagram at carlyjacobs.com. That's Carly Jacobs, D-O-T-C-O-M. You can also email me productivity at carlyjacobs.com. I love hearing from listeners. So seriously, don't be shy. You can also record a question for me to answer on the show at speakpipe.com forward slash productivity. Also, if you love the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Even $5 a month would be a huge help in covering production, editing, equipment, promotion, and guest wrangling. Just visit patreon.com forward slash productivity. And one more thing, please leave a rating and a review. It's the best way to help other people find the podcast. Until next time, remember, little habits, big life.